passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. It is John Pollock, and welcome to Post Wrestling and our post-show of Impact Wrestling's Redemption Show. And we are going to judge tonight if they were, in fact, redeemed. And the only man who can join us to make that accurate assessment is the judge, jury, and executioner, one Nate Milton, who joins us of Keep It 2000 fame and tonight putting a spotlight on Orlando, Florida and the Impact Zone. Welcome back, Nate. What is going on, John Pollock? I, I know you mentioned Keep It 2000, and I don't know. You know, going back and forth between us here and the satellite of hate, it, it, it jars the mind sometimes. So I need you to help me out, brother, because I just spent three hours watching a wrestling program that featured Scott Steiner. <laughs> uh, it featured an angle involving someone's wife, and it featured a Hogan. So uh, are we in 2018 or are we back in 2012? Well, I don't want to uh, alert Brian at this late hour, but the Hogan bump challenge was just thrown off its trajectory tonight because of the red and yellow <laughs> bumping machine tonight uh, during a match in which uh, they played second fiddle to commentary. Uh, but we will get into that. Um, so much to discuss on this show. This was obviously um, a big show for Impact. They have had... I think somewhat it's been kind of overstated, kind of the role that Impact is on. But the things that are undeniable, Nate, are that television viewership is up. Uh, they did very well at WrestleCon two weeks ago, pairing up with Lucha Underground, which, as we'll discuss tonight, I think it's a relationship that is beneficial to both sides. Uh, but, you know, you are someone that has been following this product since the beginning. What is your temperature right now on Impact Wrestling heading into redemption before seeing tonight's show? For me, the relationship with Impact Wrestling has always been a love-hate relationship. You know, as as many listeners will know, I have been a fan of this company almost since day one. And I was a huge advocate um, and, and proponent for Impact and TNA uh, pretty much for their entire existence. Uh, that kind of changed last October uh, when I just didn't have the stomach for them. And I didn't begin watching Impact again until February. So that's... This was like the longest extended break I've had from this company. Uh, and the thing that brought me back was Austin Aries because I've always thought that this was a guy that was great in the ring and excellent on the mic and was one of the few characters in this company that felt like a star. And so that brought me back when I heard Aries was going to be on the program. But from what I've seen from February up until now, there's been a lot of positives Uh there's still some negatives, I think, with the company in terms of just kind of some storyline decisions and, and, and maybe the way that they connect with their audience. But if you compare this to those shows back in the Destination America era, I think it's night and day in terms of this is at least a company that has an idea where it wants to go. Yeah, I, I will say that 
to me, the television viewership being up in March and it's extended into April, that to me, it is indicative of the show being much easier to watch. I was really struggling with this show uh, into, you know, throughout 2017. I think this show had really lost its way, which was saying a lot for Impact. And even into the first month or two of this year where the new regime had come in, but I don't know if it was necessarily the Sammy Callahan, Eddie Edwards deal that at least got some kind of a pulse going for this show, um, mm. because I wasn't even a, a giant fan of of that and, and airing it, but it's undeniable that that angle has since taken on um, a more kind of realistic tinge to it, and I think Eddie Edwards has been doing great work. I think Callahan's been doing very strong work, and it's kind of permeated throughout the show. I still think two hours is too long but, uh, for impact, but I think the last two months, it, there are definitely positives to be found on impact. Yeah, I think one of the things, John, that I've always liked about TNA slash Impact Wrestling, uh, I guess for that little teeny tiny brief period, Global Force, uh, <laughs> what I've liked about them is they will take chances. And those chances don't always work out, but at least they're trying stuff. And, and you know, you talk about airing the footage with, with, with Sammy and Eddie. Uh, you talk about some of the off-site, off-location shoots that they've done with LAX, which I thought were really well produced. Mm-hmm. Uh and just kind of bringing in some of these characters like a Sue Young, uh, bringing in, uh, you know, the, the guys from OVE that, that might have a little bit more of that indie flavor to them and, and freshen up some of the product. And then the big thing that you mentioned going back to WrestleCon is this partnership, this arrangement with Lucha Underground, which I think is a is a benefit to both companies. Yeah, I think it's been of all the the partnerships that they've extended, Noah, AAA, The Crash, uh, this has been the one that has been to me the most fruitful thus, thus far because you've sold tickets and you have also brought in characters that people have a pretty good familiarity with. And in the case of Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix by extension, you have two people that are uh, legitimately over with the audience that you can uh, you can potentially tour with if that's something that is an option on the table, which is an interesting anecdote coming out of tonight's main event. It makes sense because neither brand, I think, is super strong on their own. You know, they've got their, their niche fans here and there, but Lucha Underground and Impact Wrestling as individual entities are very much on the sidelines. But if yeah. you put them together, I think there's a way that, you know, iron can sharpen iron and, yes. and you... You know, you're not going to compete with the WWE or maybe not even Ring of Honor, but you're going to have more eyeballs and more attention uh, and hopefully more paying customers than you did before. So going into tonight's show, uh, I can confirm that there were two pay-per-view buys for this show because you and I (laughs) bought this show. And I know you were watching it on Fight TV in the States and up here in Canada. I bought this on pay-per-view for $44.95, which I'm not going to lie, Nate. That's a that's a significant price to stomach for a wrestling event in 2018. Yes. And I'm going to say this because I know that a lot of people are going to be judging this show. And I, I don't mean to cast dispersions, but I am going to guess that a lot of the feedback I have seen are people that did not buy this show. Uh, I did buy this show. And I think that when you're asking for $45, you better have the show of all shows. So <laughs> right, right from the get-go... I'm explaining my standard is pretty high when you're asking the viewer to spend $45. I understand why they're doing it. I think they have a very small audience that is going to buy their shows that they just feel let's try and make the most as out of a very small amount of paying 
fans that we have. Um, but does that kind of influence your grading of a show as opposed to uh, that's going to be four plus months of the WWE Network right there spent yep. on, in one shot tonight? Yeah, and this is uh, maybe a theme we'll get into tonight, John, uh, with, with some of the various promos tonight. But the math has kind of changed when it comes to <laughs> Canadian <laughs> and American math. Canadian and to, American math. A lot of pay-per-view dollars tonight between me and Nate, who dropped <laughs> 90 bucks on this product tonight. But, you know, When it comes to pay-per-views and the value of a show, and so I think that you're right. I guess there's two schools of thoughts because, yes – if you lower the price, you might lure in more viewers that are just curious and get those curiosity buys. But if you've got, say, a thousand people that you know are going to buy the show and they will pay whatever price tag you put on it, then from a bottom line standpoint, it might be wise just to see if you can get as much as you can get because I actually saw people talking about this show tonight, so I don't know how much of an interest in paying for the show there was among the the fan base, but I know there was certainly at least a a bit of a fascination, a curiosity with what was going on tonight. Well, I will keep you abreast throughout the show, but we have a feedback thread up on the forum at forum.postwrestling.com. We currently have two pieces of feedback, Nate, so we will see how that grows over the next uh, 45 minutes or so as we run down this show. But Redemption took place from the Impact Zone in Orlando, Florida. And right off the bat, we have Josh Matthews calling this show alongside Don Callis. No Sanjay Dutt on this particular show. Uh, Did you have um, any observations over the last, I guess, six to eight weeks of Sanjay Dutt and you know, I think generally people are going to look at uh, Don Callis being involved on the broadcast, even if it's on a pay-per-view basis, uh, as a positive. What did you think of Don Callis? And conversely, your thoughts on Sanjay Dutt? Well, with Sanjay, I, I didn't have a problem with him. I thought that, you know, as a performer, he brought something to the announce booth. But, you know, there there's a big difference between a wrestler that does commentary and a commentator, Mm -hmm. which is what Don Callis is and what he brings to the table. And so I thought, yes, between the fact that we had Don Callis giving us good color commentary and we had Josh Matthews, who was just being a straight announcer and not portraying a heel character, which I think is where he kind of gets into trouble with his announcing. Yeah, there was was none of the heel character. And even the the silliness from Josh was was dialed down significantly on this show. And, And it showed. I think for the most part, you know, outside of a, a few things here or there, uh, and then one of those big things will be a, a guest that we'll talk about later. I thought the commentary was really good tonight. Yeah, I I think that Sanjay is someone that I hope they try and develop him because, you know, this guy was just thrown in there um, when all yeah. the stuff went down with Jeremy Borash. And on top of that, you had this angle you had shot where Josh Matthews is now a heel manager on the show, but he still has to call the show. So he'd have to disappear for segments and what did they do? They left Sanjay out to drown because he'd have to call matches solo. I was like, you're, yeah. you're doing this guy who's a novice at this, and you're just throwing him into the deep end and and turning away and leaving him. And I felt bad for this guy on some of these matches he had to call by himself. That That's, that's an incredibly difficult skill, as you can attest to, much less for someone that um, is still getting their feet wet just playing off of somebody in the booth. Yeah, I think it's something that fans take for granted. Maybe now uh, that we we are in the Jonathan Coachman era on Raw, people are looking more at the commentary and realizing how a good and or bad commentary team can affect the show. But 
for somebody like Sanjay, who you said, like who, like you said, is, is still kind of getting his feet wet behind the uh, microphone. I think that he's he's a, he's a good guy to kind of groom. But when we're talking about these big shows, Callis has been there. Like Callis knows how to give uh, gravity to a moment, and, and I thought that the the interplay between him and Josh really worked out well tonight. The opening video package saw highlights from Impact, from Lucha Underground, uh, even some from AAA as well. And then our opening match was Drago against... Oh, wait, oh, hold on, John, hold on, because I've been meaning to ask you this. We have not talked about this beforehand, but Redemption, as the name for a pay-per-view, do you think it's a bit on the nose? Well, if... I mean, it was maybe the not-so-subtle name of this show, uh, <laughs> but... If if you were wondering how they were dancing around the title of this, I mean, Josh Matthews did this opening speech to start the pay-per-view, ending it by stating, adding one fan at a time. Like, this was very much, yes. we, this was pretty much Josh Matthews putting his hands together on his knees saying, we're so sorry for what we have done to you, the wrestling fan, for years and years and years. We're going to try and make it up to you. We know that you're not going to come back to us instantly. But we're going to try. We're going to try really hard. <laughs> this is like uh, a husband that's just like defaulted on alimony so many times. And now he just wants to see the child once a week. That's what <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, because when you, when you took the name and you tied it in with what Josh said at the top of the show, it very much felt like uh, one of those 90s boys to men R&B tracks where, uh, you know, the, you get the break, the interlude where the guy's like, look here, baby. I know I did you wrong. And that's, that's his only job is to speak while the other guy is harmonizing the background. This was their boys to men on bended knee moment. This is where Dixie pops up and is quoting Shaggy. It's like, it wasn't me. Uh, <laughs> oh, poor Dixie. Dixie Carter. Uh, Drago and Aerostar opened up the show, and the match was announced, brought to you by our partners at Lucha Underground. Not only did Josh promote their season four debut June 13th, this got a graphic on the screen, Nate. Like they were, listen, exemplary partners here on this show promoting yep. uh, Lucha Underground for June the 13th. So um, clearly showing, you know, a, a philosophical shift from how a lot of promotions uh, handle working with others, which typically ends in fireworks, which this one very well could. But as we said off the top, this to me is necessary for both of these companies. Lucha Underground has fallen into anonymity amongst its audience. So they're looking for anything. And I think Impact, just displaying this kind of goodwill is the kind of attitude they want to display to their audience, that they are being going above and beyond when it comes to acknowledging partnerships and yeah. portraying themselves as good guys out there. That's and and of- in, the, in the sense of, uh, in the larger sense, the larger context of the wrestling world, it, it's kind of a make good for the not so stellar reputation TNA had, you know, for a while where they, they were not being good partners to people. No, no, they have a significant, uh, amount of baggage that is not going to be, uh, dropped overnight so there's still a long way ahead um or to go don Callis said early on nate impact wrestling is the hot promotion that everyone is talking about it's like they're they're really just uh testing the waters to see how, how is a line like that going to be received uh, <laughs> at, at least two people are talking about it tonight that is true uh drago landed this uh spinning topecon hero to the floor arrow star hit his la bombita off the top to the floor Aerostar then hit the Tope Suicida. The audience was singing along here. Very rare for the impact zone, which is more reminiscent of a funeral most weeks. 
Aerostar blocked a powerbomb, hit a cutter coming off the ropes, and then he went for the springboard, and he was the first of many to lose their footing. And it was also like the same area of the Ooh. turnbuckle all night long, Nate, that people were just, I don't know if the ropes were looser than usual or what, but there were a lot of problems. This was the beginning, uh, and it and anyway, Aerostar adjusted. He hit his springboard codebreaker, pinning Drago at 11 minutes and 36 seconds. I had pretty high hopes for this match. I thought this could steal the show. It didn't. Um, I think the best I can go is to just call this an average opener between two high flyers that had kind of minimal high flying in this match. But did you feel uh, otherwise about the match? It felt like, you know, I I like the analogy of, of kind of, you know, testing the waters because everything about this opening match felt like they were trying something different where you, whether it was the uh, graphics, you know, announcing the partnership or the, the crowd and the crowd is something that I kept an eye on all night because like you mentioned, the, the impact zone fans don't have the best reputation, uh, particularly as of late. And, and so when they started singing and then they were into these two characters who I'm not sure how well they knew these guys before they saw them on the show tonight, I thought that okay, this 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 might be really good, uh, but then we get to the match and it's it's not a bad match, but if you had expectations for these guys coming in, they probably weren't met. Uh, so I, I think this this might be like a uh, a microcosm for the show because I had I don't know why I had high hopes for this show, John Pollock. Uh, maybe they got me with the marketing and the redemption and the, and the, the promo packages, but I thought this this was going to be a blowaway show because I, I think it had to be a blowaway show to really make a make a statement. Uh, and, and so this this match should have been a blowaway opening match, but it wasn't. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't a solid TV match. So uh, that's kind of where I come down on this one. Yeah, this one also kind of. Uh showcase that Josh Matthews is probably not a regular watcher of Lucha Underground because he was talking about these two being uh, part of the, the they were former trios champions along with Phoenix and kind of asking Don about you know are they kind of taking it easy on each other because of the friendship when in Lucha Underground lore in their storyline Drago has been taken captive by Cobra Moon and turned on his team so these two are actually at odds at the moment in Lucha Underground but um, Lucha Underground kind of storylines did not extend into impact no. on this show. It was just simply we're plotting we're we're plopping these characters from one world and placing them into ours. Um then Josh Matthews, we had a uh segment from earlier in the day uh stating to Matt Seidel that he can go out and do this alone with Petey Williams and uh these two I think have no chemistry at all, Nate. I have not enjoyed any of their segments together and I was one that was a proponent of Josh becoming a heel manager but as this guru for Matt Seidel just a swing and a miss and I'm hoping that this segment was the end of this um, experiment which was done when they felt that they were going to be taking Josh out of the booth but now he's a necessity there I hope that this alliance is done and Josh is just back to being your play-by-play announcer yeah and and Josh as a heel manager it's it's not the worst idea in the world, but it to me it, it doesn't work on a show that already has Jimmy Jacobs. Yeah, who is and, doing and with a much better job at it was just yeah. This was not the guy to pair Matthews with. Um, I don't know. It just it didn't work for me at all. But I, no. I think Matthews it, with, with another guy with a different presentation could be a fine manager. But um, that's not his role right now, and this one was not working. 
And Sidell really didn't didn't need the the connection with Josh. Like it didn't add anything to his character. He's got three eyes, so why do you need two more from Josh? <laughs> uh, LAX is backstage playing cards, Santana and Ortiz, and they get a phone call. Conan is not there, and they took him out, so he won't be appearing tonight. So uh, presumably Conan was uh, not able to travel to this show, and Santana and Ortiz are left on their own to defend their tag titles against Eli Drake and 55-year-old Scott Steiner. Yes. <laughs> Which Don Callis... Quite the man of analogies on this show. He compared LAX going out to battle without Conan to the New England Patriots fielding a team without Bill Belichick. Which isn't wrong. I don't know if it's right. I, w- I wouldn't compare Conan to Bill Belichick. He's more more of a Rex Ryan. Like He's, he's got a more fiery personality. Uh, he probably likes feet. I, I don't know. I, that's that's reckless, reckless speculation on my part. But it, it was interesting, though, to see... Uh, Conan not be a part of this because he has been such a great part of this revamped LAX act. Yeah, and the setup uh, segment with Scott Steiner and Conan going back and forth was tremendous, uh, to quote Conan. Yes. Uh, Very good. I mean, Conan, to me, is just consistently, year in, year out, one of the best talkers, and I I think this guy's just a fantastic manager for I don't know if you you saw the segment on Impact. This would have been probably about a month or so ago when they were still feuding with OVE and they had the segment where Conan and uh, Sammy Callahan had like the parlay in the park. Yes. And there was something insane that Conan said. And I remembered it at the time as being shocking, but now I, I it escapes me what he said. But it just, I don't, I don't remember either, but I just remember <laughs> that. <laughs> I just remember like the presence that he had, like it, it shouldn't work in the context of a pro wrestling show, but those segments with Conan outside of the arena always seem to work. Yeah. I mean, the guy is just like clearly speaking with his own words and he's so quick playing off of people as he did with Eli Drake in that segment with Scott Steiner. And, um, one thing impact knows how to do is they know how to utilize Scott Steiner sporadically. Mm-hmm. Um, I compared him in my, uh, uh, my update to, uh, to Sonny Fargo, who would be the member of the Fargo family, not actually related, but would come out of the mental institution in Memphis like two or three <laughs> times a year. But when he showed up, it was pandemonium, and this guy was on the loose. And that's kind of Scott Steiner's role. He shows up once or twice a year. He's crazy, and it's short-lived, and maybe this is not going to be short-lived. Early on, Steiner was tagged into this match, and I've got to say, he looked so immobile early on. He hit this belly-to-belly that was pretty much Ortiz just flipping himself over. And Santana had this great sequence of moves with Drake with a rolling cutter and then a somersault leg drop off of the back of Ortiz. And then Steiner comes in again. And he places Santana on the top rope, seats him, mm-hmm. climbs up. And I'm thinking to myself, there, there's no goddamn way he is doing this. And Scott Steiner hit a top rope Frankensteiner. <laughs> and then applied the Steiner recliner, which Ortiz broke up. Uh, realistically, this could have been the finish, and I don't should think, have been the finish. I mean, leave on a high note here. Uh, they continued for a few more minutes, where Santana climbed to the top. This is after they made their comeback, and they were going for the street sweeper. But instead of diving onto Eli Drake off the shoulders of Ortiz, he dove to the floor onto Scott Steiner. And this allowed Eli to pop off the shoulders, hit Ortiz with the, cra- the gravy train, and win. I mean, 
Santana just looked like a moron here, costing his team. And like these these fools, they just lost it uh, here. And Eli Drake and Scott Steiner win the match. Seven minutes, 53 seconds. They are your new tag champions. Um, but the highlight of this match for many people was, and is going to be the most uh, shareable uh, clip of this match, will be the top rope Frankensteiner from Scott. I normally don't get nervous watching professional wrestling, John Pollock. Oh, I do I all was, the time. <laughs> I was legitimately worried for Scott Steiner. I, I, I knew he was going to do it, but I, there's a part of me that just said, why? Why are you going to do this to yourself, sir? But when he accomplished it, kind of, I was like, okay, great. That should, that should be the end of the match right there. No, there's no need to continue this uh, to the other finish, which, like you said, made LAX look stupid. Uh, but for Scott Steiner in 2018 being involved in a title angle on a pay-per-view, this could have gone a whole lot worse. Oh, this this could have been tragic. Uh, but no, Scott Steiner, the man that will celebrate his 56th birthday one week after Slammiversary this year, <laughs> hit a top rope Frankensteiner. Um, I, th- I, I hope that the end of this is like a short run with these tag titles and then Scott Steiner assumes the role that Chris Adonis was holding which I think is a great dynamic of Scott Steiner just playing Eli's muscle who can cut promos and once a year you could do a match with him which at 55 maybe that's pushing things even at that point but um, there's value to Scott Steiner because he's such a ridiculous character that people get into and people are familiar with and I think he plays off Eli Drake really well and I have been a big fan of Eli Drake for uh, for most of what I've seen this year, you know, going back to February. I think that you got a guy who is really good on the mic and can get the crowd riled up, and he's not bad in the ring. Like, he's not AJ Styles, but no. he's, he's not terrible. Like, he's he's a good, serviceable, upper mid-card dude, and, and I think the more good quality guys that this company can get, the better. Next up was our six-way. Trevor Lee, Brian Cage, Taiji Ishimori, Desmond Xavier, DJZ, and El Hijo del Fantasma. DJZ called for the air horn several times, which Don Callis got his Jonathan Coachman question in, asking, what what was that? (laughs) He seemed genuinely baffled at this. Uh, The audience was chanting for Cage as he was the last one to be tagged into the match. Um, Cage finally came in, just ran through everybody. He went for this springboard moonsault off the turnbuckle, and he was the next guy to fall, uh, slipped off the ropes, and just took a bump, got right back up and redid the spot. Uh, Ishimori hit a golden triangle to Cage on the floor. Then Xavier nearly lost his footing on the rope, attempting a dive, but was caught by Cage, and... Then Cage caught Phantasma, tossed both him and Xavier up in the air. DJZ landed a top rope Hurricane Rana to Phantasma, which, after we had just seen Scott Steiner do, I don't know if this was necessary to follow it up with a version that was not going to be remembered at all after Scott Steiner's. Uh, Cage then hit Weapon X to Ishimori. Phantasma made the save, and then Cage lifted up Xavier for the drill claw. So we, we got a Steiner screwdriver on this show as well. And Cage won 12 minutes, 56 seconds. A um, lot, lot of high-flying stuff in this, some impressive things, also some sloppy things throughout this match. Yeah. I mean, this wasn't um, a, a smooth match with the six of them. Um, how did you feel about the, the six-way here? And obviously, I think Brian Cage winning, he is the, the big monster that is taking the role of Bobby Lashley in the promotion. 
Yep. Yeah, obviously this was a match to spotlight Brian Cage. And so from that standpoint, it was mission accomplished. I thought, you know, botch aside, he he looked pretty good amongst these smaller, more athletic guys. He, he, he didn't look too out of place. And the power spots that he hit were really impressive. My bigger issue with this, John, is you mentioned all the names, all the talent that we had in this match. And I kind of feel like we could have had a better use for all of these guys than just to serve as a backdrop for Brian Cage. I agree. I would have personally, I think that Aerostar and Drago would have been much better in this kind of a crazy match. And you could have isolated like a Trevor Lee and a Taiji Ishimori for a singles match or a Trevor Lee and a Desmond Xavier, especially Xavier. I think, I think he's great. I think Ishimori and Trevor Lee extremely underutilized. Um, I, I I agreed with you. I think the Drago and Aerostar belonged in this, and you could have picked any of those three names of Ishimori, Lee, and Xavier, and isolated them, and they would have had a tremendous singles match. Any combination of those three, particularly if you know, kind of looking ahead to how the X Division title match ended up, you know, you're gonna need guys to come up and challenge. So why not? you know, elevate a Trevor Lee or a Desmond Xavier or Ishimori um, or, hell, a DJZ since he's got his customized air horn in the arena now. Why, why not give these guys a little bit of a spotlight match to kind of preview ahead? This, this is going to be the next guy up to challenge for the X Division title. Mackenzie Mitchell was in the back, interviewed Allie, and she said a lot of people still doubt her despite how she's proved herself against other knockouts in the division, winning the title, and she's always put people ahead of herself, such as Braxton Sutter, and tonight she fights for herself, her title, and Nate, she's fighting for her redemption. <laughs> I don't know what her redemption is. I don't know what she what yeah, she's overcoming. I think she's doing her entire well. time uh, on on this on this program in this company. She's been a babyface, even when she was with uh, uh, Maria Canella. She was there not by her own free will. So I don't know what she needs to be redeemed from. Listen, Allie has been a shining light in Impact during a time when darkness has fallen upon this company. Uh, <laughs> I, I think Allie has been, you know, a great character and one that. Uh, Yes, they've done a very good job with and credit credit to her, because if like, if you remember, like the early stages of Ali, just having somebody that knows how to wrestle, pretend like they can't wrestle. Like, I thought that was some really cool stuff that she was doing at the kind of the genesis of the character when she was getting into the ring. Next up was Taya Valkyrie and Kira Hogan, which was just announced on Sunday. The match had barely begun when Tessa Blanchard showed up at the announcer's mm-hmm. desk sitting down with Josh Matthews and Don Callis. And this whole match just became a focus on Blanchard and yep. and arguing with Josh, siding with Callis, and not even talking about this match. It, w- it took Don to finally shift focus. Like, this was a match that was completely ignored and felt like, it, it, ju- it just felt like background noise for the new debuting knockout in Tessa Blanchard. And I don't know, how how would you have debuted her, John? Because I had some issues with this because, A, it takes the focus off of Taya, who should be one of your big stars in the knockouts division, and also uh, Kira Hogan, who has a lot of potential. Uh, so I, I thought just from a standpoint of watching from home, it took the focus off of that match. But if you're in the arena, we've already seen – a bunch of knockouts over the past couple months debut with the post-match attack, whether you're talking about Sue Young or uh, uh, Hanaya. Uh, so that's, that's a theme we've seen. What 
would you have gone that route again? Or, or do you think there was a way to make this uh, Tessa Blanchard invades the broadcast booth work without taking so much focus away from the, the actual match in ring? I would have tried to work out some kind of a deal with Billy Corgan and David Lagana, who have had a bit of a relationship with, with Impact and doing the empty arena match. I would have tried to work something out and I would have gone to a video feature and I would have had footage of Magnum TA, of Tully Blanchard, and Ooh. then she appears. And it's just the video. The legacy continues and is coming to the knockouts division. And that's it. I, I like have, it. I wouldn't have done it this way. I think that this was just, um, yes, the focus was on her, but to the detriment of the match. And I just didn't like debuting someone. If it's going to be someone significant to just join the announcer's desk, like there can be so much done here to get her story And she talked too long. She, like, if, if, if they were going to do that, she should have left earlier. She should have left before the match ended. Well, she was. Because it felt like she was out there for five or six minutes just kind of going back and forth with, with Josh and uh, Cyrus. And I thought that diminished her a little bit. Yeah, she, has a vi- she, was, she had a very commanding presence here on the desk, which is good for the spotlight on yourself. But that's not the role of commentary. And this match, I, I just thought, really suffered. These women, like, they worked well together. But this was yeah. such an afterthought. Like, we had a Saito suplex here from Taya and then... Uh, Fisherman suplex was blocked and then finally hit Kira with the road to Valhalla and won the match. So Taya won eight minutes, six seconds, but uh, it just felt like such a nothing match. Um, Then Mitchell was backstage with Petey Williams and one of the highlights of the night coming up. John Pollock. He tried to explain how his chances have increased now that Josh Matthews won't be out ringside with Matt Seidel and starts going through percentages. And you know where this is going. And Scott Steiner walks from behind and explains the difference between Canadian math and American math as a spoof on Steiner's infamous promo uh, from a decade ago. And they concluded that they would go to Crackle Barrel after the show, and Steiner requested that Petey bring his wife with them. That's all I needed from this, John Pollock. That's all I needed was the, the connection, was the callback to Steiner's illustrious history with this company. There's definitely a role for Scott Steiner in this company in 2018. Matt Seidel versus Petey Williams for the X Division title. Petey cashing in his Feaster Fired briefcase. This match started with Seidel going after the left leg of Williams, presumably to nullify the Canadian Destroyer. Matthews even brought up that this is really going at a slow pace, which is kind of surprising. So what did Petey do? He came back with leg kicks himself. And we had a K-1 match here between these two. (laughs) Williams then hit a TKO, set up for the Canadian Destroyer, and Seidel stopped them. And the commentators were telling the story that Petey plays to the crowd too often. Williams rolled through, applied a sharpshooter, but Seidel got to the rope. And then Seidel eventually recovered, went for a shooting star press, landing on Petey's knees. Petey hits the Canadian Destroyer, but Seidel rolls to the floor. Williams sent him back in, and he pulled up Seidel to the second turnbuckle and was going for a super Canadian destroyer, which Seidel was able to block. Seidel missed a shooting star press, and then Seidel countered the Canadian destroyer and just lifted Williams with his hands um, almost into like this, uh, came down almost like a Michinoku driver kind of um, maneuver. Very... Unimpressive would be the fin- the word I would describe this finish. They ended this at 1147. Um, I mean, technically, it was fine. They were trying to tell a story. But I just thought up until this point in the show, Nate, I thought this was a really underperforming show. 
Like it just mm-hmm. felt like we had a bunch of average matches on a show that needed to have kick-ass matches up and down. Like this had to be a blow-away show for this company so that there was so much buzz coming out of it. And I was pretty down on this show up until this point uh, in time. And I, I thought this was kind of disappointing given, I think, what your expectation might have been. I felt about this match how you felt about uh, Aerostar and Drago. Mm-hmm. Because this is the one that I was like, okay. And, and that's part of the reason I thought maybe they wouldn't go all out in the opening match because this was going to be the one that 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 they, they tore the house down. Uh, not only was it probably five minutes shorter than it needed to be, which is, uh, like I thought all of the big matches, this one and the the uh, title match, I thought you could have, you could have tacked on five minutes to both of those matches and it would have improved, I think. No, no match, matches. no match hit 17 minutes on this show. And I mean, it's not a show that was dragged down with a ton of backstage stuff or non no, wrestling. Um, it was just the time allotment. It was just, you, you didn't see a whole lot of time um, uh, on too many matches. And I, I don't know what it was. I mean, maybe it's it was the the pace that these guys were going at, but I just never felt invested in this. Like I, I didn't, I didn't feel the sense of urgency from PD or uh, Seidel. And I don't know if it's just because I don't really buy Matt Seidel as this nefarious heel. Like I, I don't know what what's keeping me from being super invested in his X Division title reign uh, because he's he's good in the ring, but the character work doesn't is isn't doing it for me, and so I think in in lieu of that, if you're not going to have this great compelling story between Petey and and Seidel, then you got to have a kick-ass match, and we got a decent TV match, but we didn't get a kick-ass blow-away X Division title match. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I, I don't think the characters really worked for Seidel so far, and no one was expecting this as the finish either it was just kind of a flat ending to the match it was just like a simple reversal and it was nothing it was just a very yeah very flat finish to a match i was i was disappointed with it then mckenzie is with tommy dreamer moose and eddie edwards and (laughs) wife alicia and tommy dreamer quotes martin luther king jr (laughs) and talks about the three all four of them actually including alicia being united Black standing with white, men standing with women, youth standing with age, and they're all together tonight. Maybe, maybe Tommy Dreamer could go to the Greatest Royal Rumble show and, and cut, a, cut a promo about <laughs> everyone needs to be united. Everyone is equal. <clears throat> uh, oh, man. The, between the uh, Petey Williams segment and the uh, segment right here, uh, I, I have grown to... Uh, love the Mackenzie Mitchell interviews now I I like I wasn't super high on her to begin with but now I am I am a fan if she can generate content like this because when Tommy Dreamer steps into frame and and begins talking about he has a dream I my ears perked up John Pollock and I said Tommy are we going down this path is this where you want to lead for uh hyping us up for this hardcore match and then he 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 quotes Dr. King and he's got I've got a dream and and we're going to be unified and black and white and young and old male and female and you know but I, I, I wasn't sure how I felt when Tommy started going down the path but by the time he got us home I, w- I was thoroughly behind brother dream I, I felt like you know what in in this day and age uh we we could use a little more unity so I'm, I'm cool with that Tommy dreamer I don't know if Dr. King ever envisioned that 
Uh, his words would be used to set the table for the first ever House of Hardcore match on an Impact pay-per-view. <laughs> but hey, here we are. So OVE, consisting of Sammy Callahan, Dave, and Jake Chris, taking on Tommy Dreamer, Moose, and Eddie Edwards in our House of Hardcore match. And we have weapons all around the ring. Ladders, kendo sticks, trash cans, chairs, and immediately the match begins and Jake Christ is powerbombed onto the edge of the apron. And I've got to say, Nate, the crowd was really hot from the start of this and they yep. stayed with it. Like this, this might feel like a dated concept, these hardcore matches, but this audience was into this. It, it very much felt like uh, a turning point for the crowd because I thought in this match and in the main event in particular, they seem more invested than they had at any other points in the show. Agreed. This was like a really hot, by impact zone standards, a hot crowd. I don't want to paint a picture that this was a takeover from a few weeks ago, but they were alive for this match. A um, lot of, lot of craziness in this match. I mean, Jake got placed into a tree of woe and Edwards swung a chair into a trash can hitting his face. Uh, Moose, went for a somersault dive to the floor. Mm. Missed Callahan, where this ladder was draped against the apron, and Moose just crashed tailbone first into this ladder. Oh, my God. My spine hurt from this. It was not a fun spot. OVE then took out Dreamer after a spinning wheel kick from Jake. Must have been watching Edson Barbosa the night before. Uh, Jake then came off the shoulders of Callahan with a cutter to Edwards from the shoulders of Dave that looked really impressive. Dreamer then put Callahan through a table on the floor with a Spicoli driver. Dave brought out thumbtacks, uh, but Moose returned, saved Eddie, lifted Dave uh, into the air, and Edwards hit the Boston knee party, and Dave took the tack fall. Moose then dove off the apron to put Dave through a table. Jake leaped and caught Moose in midair yes. with a cutter uh, as he was doing this dive, so they were all dead on the floor. And then Callahan grabbed the baseball bat for the big climactic spot of the match to attack Edwards. Dreamer showed up with a barbed wire bat to attack Callahan, and Callahan landed a low blow before Dreamer could use it. Pin Dreamer with Edwards taken away, and OVE wins at 12 minutes and 54 seconds. And there were two chapters to this, the match and the post-match. Uh, how did you assess the match portion, Nate? I'm much like you, John Pollock, where... I am not the biggest fan of the hardcore matches. I think they're a bit passe. I think with the more we know about, uh, you know, brain injuries and concussions, it's it's not my cup of tea. But I, I like this. I this, thought it felt hey, it earned. worked. This worked to the crowd. I'm, I'm yeah. It's not my kind of match, but I'm not going to deny that these six guys worked really hard. They had a lot of creative stuff in this match, and it worked for the audience. And hey, what works works. And and I think the the big part of that though is it's it's earned because of the setup of you know what uh, Callahan did to Eddie yes. and it just makes sense going forward that this would be the kind of the culmination of that and so yeah while while this isn't my favorite type of match I thought everybody worked really hard uh, I too held my spine when Moose hit that damn ladder oh. uh, I thought everybody worked really well and the finish intrigued me. Uh, because I didn't know what was to come. But once I saw the full story, I thought this this might have been the best segment on the entire show. So afterwards, the story is Eddie Edwards has been pushed to the brink by Sammy Callahan, and now he's going over the edge. He ties up Sammy Callahan with duct tape to the top rope, 
and starts wailing on him with kendo stick shots. And Edwards is snapped. He attacks the referee with a kendo stick. Tommy Dreamer steps in to calm him down. He shoves Dreamer down and then just nails Sammy with this brutal shot right to the head. More shots are delivered to Dave and Jake. And then Alicia runs down from behind to stop her husband. And Eddie thinks it's one of the other guys. And he just instinctively turns around and wallops her with the kendo stick right to the head. And a hush falls upon the impact zone. This one by design. And they cut to Callahan. He is bleeding like he is Jesus on the cross here. He is just bleeding and tied up. I mean, there was certainly... I felt, Nate, the intended religious imagery here, like very much like the Sandman Raven deal with the cross. Like that's yeah, what I was going to say, also a, yeah, also a call back to ECW. Yes. Um, this was easily the most dramatic element on the show. You may hate um, male on female violence, and I'm not a fan of it, but this was a story that was done very dramatically. The audience was really taken on a ride here. It was a very heavy duty angle and this is an angle that's never going to happen in WWE and impact is going to go to areas that WWE cannot access in access mm-hmm. in 2018 so i mean this this was one of the better impact angles i can recall over a long period of time it progresses a story with Eddie Edwards and Sammy Callahan that to me is it's been the most effective program under the new regime and you can't deny the the appeal that this this feud has had and taking it in a different direction here with, with Eddie and the use of his wife. We talked about taking chances earlier, and this was a, a – and <laughs> now I'm just hearing myself in my own head. Uh, this, I was going to say this was a swing. It, this was not a swing and a miss uh, in more ways than one, uh, but it, it worked. And I think what made it work for me as a viewer at home is going back to the announcers how serious they played it where Callis and uh, Josh just kind of laid out. They were shocked. And, and you would hear like from time to time, just, you know what? I don't know what's going on, Don. And you know, this Eddie, Eddie had no idea what he's doing. And then they just lay out again. And it, it just resonated that this was a big moment. And even though this is a big wrestling event, this is not supposed to happen. This is not, you know, within the bounds of what's acceptable. And I also think you got to give a lot of credit to the way Eddie Edwards played it, where he just, you know, went from being this guy that was enraged and incensed and was a madman uh, to in the moment he realized that he had hit his wife. It's just like, bam, like he's just a Phenomenal! He did a phenomenal job of acting out that moment, and then you got Tommy Dreamer there being like the voice of reason. And I don't even know who the referee was, but the referee's like, "You didn't know. There was no way you could have known." And it's like everybody involved in this segment, from the match to this closing angle, even Alicia. I thought Alicia did a wonderful job of selling it. This was to me maybe the best part of the show, and. It actually gets me excited to see what's next in this story because now that Eddie's done this act, there's a couple different ways you could kind of spin him going forward. Yeah. I mean, whether you like this angle or not, um, you can't argue that it was gratuitous or that it was just done for a cheap pop or something like that. I mean, this was done with layers to a character being exposed and 
with a with a a design in mind, and it was very pardon the pun impactful on the show. I agree with you. I think this will be the the key takeaway on the show was this post match angle that people will discuss afterwards. And they didn't do the typical impact, just rush, 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 and mm-hmm. nothing sits. Like they let this digest, and then. They finally just went to a pre-tape promo from Phoenix, uh, hyping up the the main event for later. And it didn't have that weird, awkward transition either. Like, it felt we went to a number of backstage segments after this. Then we yep. returned to a, the announcers who have to continue with this show. But it never felt like something ridiculous where you've just seen something so out of this world that it makes no sense to continue. I mean, it was... I thought the pacing of all of this, even after the last shot of Alicia, it was it was done well. It sunk and it resonated. And this is something I've criticized Impact over for years in, in terms of not letting things breathe. Uh, and I think maybe the the most similar moment I can think of, just kind of off the top of my head, is the angle that I think it closed an impact when Bully Ray uh, powerbombed AJ through a table. Yes. And they let that breathe. They let that sit for a while. They let the audience kind of experience that moment instead of just rushing to whatever the next segment was because we got to fill this TV time. And so if if you go back and, and see nothing else from this match, from this, this show, this would be one of the things I would recommend because, you know, this, this was worth my money, John Pollock. The, I felt that everybody in this segment, was, it was well worth my money for the way that they performed in, in this segment. Yeah, yeah, and I thought this this started like the the last I would say sixty to eighty minutes of the show. Um, I had a, uh, I had a very different opinion of than the first hour forty. Um, yes. So Mackenzie interviewed Austin Aries. He stated that Pentagon and Phoenix are world class performers, but they are not the champion. Aries is changing the game, and he has the power with this title, and no one's taking that power away from him. He said he can beat anyone one-on-one, but tonight he not only is facing two men, but he's facing two brothers, and he understands his back is up against the wall. Good promo from Austin Aries, setting up the uh, the three-way for later tonight. And then Allie versus Sue Young, who I did not... Um, I did not envy these two women having to follow the, the heaviness nope. of what preceded them, both in the ring and the post-match. Braxton Sutter introduced Sue Young, and then Allie stormed the ring and started the match very aggressively, stomping down Sue Young. And the idea was that Allie is going to show more aggression for somebody the likes of Sue Young. Here, Don Callis compared Sue Young to the great Muda. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, there are some similarities if you want to draw them. But yes, when I see Sue Young's in-ring style, it does not remind me of uh, one uh, KG Muto. Sue Young pulled out a blood-stained glove that was missing two fingers, something that the Great Muda never wore. Uh, and this is, uh, this is her secret glove. Although I don't know what the power of the glove is because the two fingers are not there. And that's where... She applies the mandible claws. I don't know why you need the glove to just use your fingers. It's also very unsanitary. It is, but this is an unsanitary character. I mean, she's got plasma leaking all over the place. So, (laughs) 
Young uh, hit a running palm strike to the corner that looked really good. And Alley came back with a running clothesline into the opposite corner. And then Alley fired up, hit a pair of sliding forearms into the corner, super kicked Sue Young. But then Braxton distracted the referee. So Alley slapped Sutter, who bumped down to the floor. Alley turned around, and Sue Young went for the panic switch. But in spinning her around, Alley countered with a sunset flip roll up pinning Young at 7 minutes and 16 seconds to retain the knockouts title. Uh, I'll say this. This wasn't the match of the show, but I thought these women did a pretty good job following a pretty heated angle, and I I, I enjoyed the match for what it was. Yeah, I thought they had the unfortunate uh, luck of being stuck behind that uh, great angle, not only because it was so impactful, uh, to use your pun, but also because we just went from an instance of violence against a woman which is not approved and not sanctioned to violence against women that we are cheering for. So there's a little bit of a, a dissonance there. So I, I don't know if where you could have put this match uh, where it, it wouldn't have suffered from that, but I, th- I thought... Sue and Allie did a good job in, in, in the match. I think I've been a fan of Sue Young for a while, you know, and I think in terms of her character, that's something that I, a lot of women are missing. Uh, whether, you, whether you're even talking about on the WWE level, where they can, they're fine in the ring, but they don't have a character that connects. And I think the Sue Young character, Bloody Undead Bride, it works on a certain level. And so her and Allie, where you've got this extreme white meat baby face versus this demonic uh character it's a good contrast and i thought they had a good they had a good little match uh but unfortunately they were kind of sandwiched in between the two best tasting slices of bread you could ever imagine and so the the turkey inside while good and delicious it wasn't it wasn't you know it wasn't five-star turkey so it, it felt kind of flat it was a tough spot for them. Um, Sutter got down on one knee and proposed to Young as the audience chanted bullshit at this. <laughs> Sue Young blew red mist into the face of Sutter and applied the mandible claw with the glove. Glove but no love displayed by Sue Young to play off an old uh, slogan for safe sex. Also, if, if, if I'm Sue Young, now kind of getting back into the psychology of this match, John Pollock, she brought out the glove because that's I guess her her ultimate weapon, this mandible claw. <laughs> so when Allie had her back turned with all that Bra- Braxton Sutter foolishness, when she turns back around, why not go for the mandible claw instead of going for your other move, which is easily reversible? Because she had a panic. <laughs> I just want to know the power of this glove. Like, why wouldn't you just wear this glove for the whole match if it gives you these special powers? Yes. I mean, why just be so selective about it? And wait to have the hassle of finding it, putting it on. Just wear it. No one's going to stop you. No one's going to ban this material, this fabric on your hand. I mean, it's perfectly allowable. It's like it's cotton. <laughs> I just don't understand. Like, this isn't like uh, Brian Cage's uh, glove he was wearing on Lucha Underground, like the Nintendo Power glove he had where he could just kill people. Then they made the announcement, Slammiversary will take place Sunday, July 22nd mm. in Toronto. At the Rebel Complex, which, uh, for those in Toronto, formerly Sound Academy. Uh, so this can hold uh, several thousand people. I don't know what the okay. exact capacity is for uh, once they get the ring in and all the seating. But for a, a concert, it can hold around, I, I believe, up to like just over 3,000 people. So that's the kind of sized venue. They kind of made it sound like this place is, I think they used like the term, the biggest entertainment yes. complex in 
did they say North America, something like that? Like it's, I'm sure there's some way you account for that, but I mean, this isn't like a giant area they're running. It's going to be several thousand people. It's a impact scaled event center. Like this promo went all out just from like the, the, the design and look of the package. And it, it felt very, uh, Cirque de Soleil-ish. Yes. Uh, and so I'm like, they're like the biggest entertainment venue. And I'm like, wow, they are, they are stepping up in dramatic fashion. And then when you tell me, you know, it's, it's a good size venue, but it's not Shea Stadium, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not. Let's just, this is reel it in here. Let's just reel it in a little. Okay. So, so are, uh, are you and, uh, and brother Ting looking forward to that? Or will, will you be in attendance? Uh, you know what? When it comes to events that I, I'm going to do notes for and coverage on the site, I much prefer to just watch at home. So I will. Yeah. I likely won't be going there live. I, I doubt it. Um, but maybe, maybe one of us will go and the other will watch at home. Main event was Austin Aries, Pentagon Jr., and Phoenix for the Impact title. And match began, and Phoenix hit this springboard spin kick to the head of Aries, and these three were just going all out from the start of things. Aries applied a last chancery to Pentagon that Phoenix broke up with a springboard drop kick all the way across the ring. Aries was then sent over the top rope to the floor, but before he landed, hit a Hurricane Rana to Pentagon on the floor, and then Phoenix had the damnedest time trying to hit this springboard, repeatedly lost his balance on the top rope, and finally hit a springboard tornillo to the floor onto Aries and Pentagon. And again, Nate, it was like the same spot that all these guys had trouble with their footing. So I can't imagine all these like proficient high flyers had such a bad night all on the same night in the same spot of the ring. So I don't know what was going on here, but it was... Uh, This was like the corner of death all night long. Phoenix was selling a rib injury, but it was only playing possum to fool Pentagon and hit the springboard uppercut, followed with a muscle buster. Pentagon hit the Pentagon driver, but Aries broke up the cover. Aries then attempted a suicide dive. His legs got caught in the ropes here, but Pentagon caught him and no one uh, plummeted to the mat or to the floor. Uh, Aries then sent Pentagon over the barricade into the floor. Aries rolled both into the corner. Into the corner of death, by the way, and hit a 450 to both, which didn't look fun. Pentagon and Phoenix both kicked out. Multiple super kicks delivered to Aries. Then Pentagon hit Phoenix with a super kick, lifted up Phoenix for the gory special, and then lifted up Aries, simultaneously hitting him with a package pile driver, snapped the arm of Aries, Pentagon driver, and Pentagon Jr. pins Austin Aries 16 minutes and 13 seconds to win the Impact title in a pretty fun main event. Like I thought, I thought this was better than the WrestleCon match uh, significantly uh, that aired this past week on Impact. I'd agree, and and I like the WrestleCon match, but I thought this this just felt like a it felt like a a big time pay per view match, which a lot of the matches on this card didn't feel like. Mm-hmm. This this felt like yes, this is something going back to that question of value. This is something valuable. This is something that is must see if you're trying to entice new fans. And and so, I actually thought they could have done a, you know another five minutes, you know hell ten minutes, and I, I would have been just as happy because. It, it felt like all three guys had a good chemistry and, you know, some of the stuff with that corner of death aside, I, I really enjoyed this match and I was surprised by the finish. You know, I thought Austin Aries was going to win this, you know, okay, we had a good match, but ultimately he's the hometown guy. Uh, 
but no, when when they put it on Pentagon, I was pleasantly surprised. It, it's much like the uh, end of the Davy Richards Sammy Callahan feud uh, or match. Now I'm I'm interested. I'm like, okay, what are they going to do come Thursday? You know, how how is this going to play out? So you you got me hooked at least for one more episode of Impact on Pop TV, which ultimately I think besides just the money that they that they wanted to make from the show. They wanted to continue to get eyeballs on that pop TV show because it still is kind of their bread and butter right now. Yeah. So I, afterwards, Phoenix got into the ring. He hugged Pentagon. And I, I think that, yeah, it was um, a surprise to people that they put the title on Pentagon. You're putting it on a really hot baby face. Um, this is someone that if you are able to get more dates on Pentagon, I think it's very advantageous for Impact to have the title on someone like him um, that can go around and is a real hot commodity that you have attached yourselves yep. to. So I think that's that's a positive. And the crowd was into him, which you don't see for many people on this show. The crowd was definitely behind him. They got into it. And as well, when you weigh the options, an Aries retaining the title, what heels are ready for him? I mean, you could... Uh, fast track Brian Cage, but I think they're holding off on that for a little bit. Like there aren't uh, a plethora of heels that are ready for no. Austin Aries. I don't think Eli Drake really works in that role at the moment. Um, I, I think that going this direction, I think it just it opens itself. You have the rematch with uh, you have the rematch with Austin Aries. You have other baby faces that can challenge um, uh, heels rather for Pentagon, though you could really go both directions with him. Um, I, I think it just it opens more doors with the, with this uh, with Pentagon Junior winning the title. So um, yeah, I thought the last hour or so of this show, um, I, I had a much more positive reaction to this show and the show as a whole after watching the whole show. So uh, Nate, on a scale of one to ten, where do you go on this show? <laughs> so we had eight matches, correct? Correct. I would say. Four of the matches underwhelmed me, and those were primarily the the opening matches. Yep. And then I would say four of the matches really did what they were supposed to do. And I think you're talking about the main event. I think you're talking about Allie and Sue Young. You've got the hardcore match. And then uh, I'd even throw the, the tag team match in there because I was impressed with 55-year-old Scott Steiner. So I think those four matches uh, did what they needed to do. Was this the... Knock out, knock it out of the park. Was this the home run that they needed for your first pay per view in a while? No, it it certainly wasn't. But it wasn't terrible either. They didn't embarrass themselves. And I think if you had people that stuck around to the end, they you got you probably got some new viewers, some new fans for Thursday night on Pop TV. So, ah. <sighs> I could stick with my gimmick and give it a six out of ten, but. I think the question uh, posed by this company tonight, John Pollock, is have they redeemed themselves? And I'll go with a 7 out of 10 and say, eh, maybe. Yeah, it's uh, it's the, the estranged parents agreeing that um, you, can, you can take him for ice cream. Let's this start is like there. Uh, Robin Williams and Mrs. Doubtfire, where like halfway through the movie where he's starting to reconnect with his kids. Like, you know what? You might be all right, Robin Williams. Yeah, yeah, this- <laughs> Somewhere we've got uh, who would be the uh, the best representative? Maybe uh, maybe we've got Allie telling us we're his goddamn kids too. To <laughs> Sally Field, uh, I put the poll out there to grade tonight's Impact pay per view, and it's a nail biter here, Nate. I 
I, for whatever reason, I just put three options, A, B, or C. We had 35% of people giving this a B, 33% giving it a C, and 32% giving it an A. So very much divided, a kind of a mixed bag show for a lot of people. I am going to go six out of 10, uh, just in honor of Nate being on this show. Uh, That's kind of how I felt afterwards. Um, We do have a little bit of feedback here, so uh, let us go here. Um, Chase from New Orleans. I am buying this pay-per-view after not having watched Impact in a long while. I kind of keep up with the reactions to the promotion, but tonight was the first time in a while that I've watched it myself. I have an idea on how I feel after watching the show. It's kind of long, but I really want to hear your guys' perspective on it. I thought this was a fine show. It was good, even with a great main event. But I think that Impact has such a bad history and lack of consistency that they can't just be good. There is an overabundance of good to great wrestling today, and almost none of it carries the baggage that Impact does. Again, this was a fine show, but there's really zero reason to watch it over the numerous great options that exist, and it's not enough of a notable or talked-about product over the quality deficit at bases. There's nothing standout about it. I really think Impact lacks an identity in 2018, and they need to find something that is uniquely their own. Otherwise, they're just a collection of mostly fine to good matches. When the wrestling world is filled with those elsewhere, do you guys agree with this assessment? I think Chase brings up a lot of great points. I think there's going to be a lot of um, sympathy points here for Impact because they showed something tonight. There was a, there's a pulse, and... You know, this was a, it was a good show. I'm not going to say it was a bad show, um, but they've, you're right. Like, this is a different world, Nate, than it was 10 years ago when Impact had cornered a portion of the market that WWE wasn't touching and yep. you didn't have so many other products readily available. And also, as we talked about at the top, at a fraction of the price. Yeah, and they also didn't have the stigma attached to the name. And, and for reasons both outside of their control and certainly firmly in their control, they've earned a reputation uh, with, with the fans out there. So I think the way that they can kind of redeem themselves to continue to theme of the night is by looking and seeing what worked on this show. And to me, and I think uh, you'd be in agreement with this as well, John, the biggest thing that worked was the storytelling with the Eddie Edwards segment. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you're not going to be able to beat the WWE on their own terms, but you can, you know, carve your own niche out and do what works for you. And I think they've got a really cool production team that likes to go outside of the arena and shoot different things. We saw that during the Broken Hardy stuff, and we've seen that with LAX lately. I, I think if you can give me some compelling storytelling with a couple good matches every week, maybe one great match every, every now and then, that's a fine show. The other thing, though, I think they really need to do is be consistent. And that's what I've seen from the time I started watching back in February, that this seems to be a company that, while they're not as big as they were 10 years ago, they're not as bad as they were five years ago. There seems to be a plan and a process that the new regime has. And so... I think it's I want to see them stick to it. I don't want to see them fall into the trap of previous uh, ownership where something doesn't work for a year. So we'll switch it and we'll have a reboot next year and then a reboot the year after that. And then we need to get bailed out because we spent so much money on the reboots and now we got a new owner and we'll reboot again. So I want to see some consistency because it doesn't matter if, if they get a lot of praise from tonight's show, if they squander all that goodwill next week. 
Tom from Virginia. I got this show for free with some fight TV credits I had left over from WrestleMania weekend. <laughs> I enjoyed the main event and the six-way. Everything else was decent. I honestly didn't know Petey Williams still, still wrestled. Six and a half out of ten. And he asks, is Impact still working with Noah? Because Cano is one of my favorites in the world, and Impact could really use some extra top-level in-ring talent. Even if it's just for the occasional show, he elevated everybody that faced him for the GHC title when he held it. Um they they were working together, but Taiji Ishimori uh, has left Noah, so he's not really okay. a Noah representative any longer. And I can't even remember the last time Impact sent talent over to Noah. I mean, there was no one part of the recent uh, tag tournament, so it doesn't seem like it's a very active relationship um, where there's any kind of talent exchange going on at the moment. It seems like they're pretty concentrated with Lucha Underground at the moment. Uh, so do you think of, I guess I'll piggyback off of that question. Do you think it would be wise for Impact to concentrate on this arrangement with Lucha Underground? Or do you think they should be looking for other partners to dance with at the same time? I, th- I think there's advantages to uh, going outside the box of just the the talent pool you have to bring in some some fresh faces every now and then that's going to inject some some buzz into the product that's going to get some attention. I think it all's kind of a case by case basis of a how willing other promotions are to work with you and and what is the talent involved? How what are the politics that come with it as well? Because with Lucha Underground, I think it it behooves both of them. Neither is in this extreme leverage position to pull a power play on the other. I think both really need the other at the moment. So it works. It works for now. Um but yeah, I I don't think you're going to necessarily see a new Japan like opening up the doors to supply talent coming over here. Maybe at some point they'll get to that, but you have so many alliances outside like with New Japan with CMLL and and Ring of Honor that I don't think you're going to break those allegiances being Impact Wrestling at the moment. So mm. I, I think it's going to be kind of scarce what's out there as well for you beyond kind of the the companies that w- that we've seen work with Impact already. Um We've got two more here, including someone that attended the show live. Um, Oh, wow. uh, Let's go to that one. Tyler from Orlando. I went in with low expectations as well, but I really enjoyed this event. Approaching the entrance, I noticed there were way more people in line than the usual tapings. However, I was then told half of them were friends and family of the wrestlers. I thought Drago and Aerostar was a great opener. This is my first time seeing Aerostar wrestle. Scott Steiner entertained the hell out of me taunting the crowd. The man is just so funny, and I popped very hard for the Frankensteiner off the top rope. My favorite match was the House of Hardcore tag match because I'm a sucker for hardcore spot fest. Main event was great, although I spent half of the match trying to convince the guy next to me that Pentagon Jr. and Phoenix are brothers. He did not believe me. I give the show six springboard botches <laughs> out of ten. And then he adds, we are at TGI Fridays now, and Moose, Eli, Drake, and Eddie Edwards are at the bar. So that's cool. Nice. <laughs> yes, Eddie Edwards is getting over the trauma of what just went down uh, at the Impact Zone. And <laughs> last one here. Up and down show with more ups than downs. I could have lived without 55-year-old Scott Steiner becoming tag champion. However, the Eddie Edwards angle and the incredible main event made me have to call this a thumbs-up show. Big props to Impact for changing the commentary team and putting their championship on a foreigner who doesn't really speak English. Impact in the past has often tried to out WWE, WWE, and well, this is being different and it's working. Okay. Um, Yeah, I think that generally people are leaving this show with a... Guarded optimism. 
I think yes. that, would, that would be a good way to classify things. And some interest in the TV coming out of this. Uh, they're going to be in Orlando the next four nights through Thursday, taping nine episodes of Impact uh, throughout this week. So uh, that is going to wrap things up for us. Uh, but I very much want to thank uh, Nate Milton uh, for joining us. And Nate, uh, the floor is yours because I know you are a very busy man in the podcast space, uh, both on this site and outside and abroad. Uh, so please let the listeners know where they can follow Nate Milton on a weekly or biweekly basis. Yes, much, much like uh, Impact Wrestling, I, I like to have different partners uh, with my projects. <laughs> feel it helps bolster uh, the Nate Milton brand. I know that's one of John's favorite sayings. Yes. Uh, but, uh, hey, I want to thank you for having me on, brother. It's been a long time since we've talked Impact Wrestling, and, and I feel like it, it's it's a bit of a homecoming. But if the listeners want to hear more from me, uh, of course, you can check out Keep It 2000 here on the Post Wrestling Network with myself and Brian Mann. If you're into sports other than uh, pro wrestling, you can check out the Kings of Sport with myself and Marcus Vandenberg from Yahoo Sports. That comes. Uh, we got a new episode coming out tomorrow uh, discussing uh, the NBA playoffs, uh, previewing the NFL draft, and uh, talking about the uh, greatest Royal Rumble show, uh, previewing that in Saudi Arabia. Uh, let's see what else we got. We got the main event over on Place to Be Nation. We got Pipe Bomb Radio. We've got Always Forward, which is a Luke Cage podcast uh, that I uh, co-host with Ephraim Guzman, which will be back this summer. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll have plenty to talk about because uh, Marvel is hot this year with Black Panther and Infinity War. And uh, we'll see if Luke Cage can can keep, uh, keep the streak going. Uh, so you got that to look forward to. So uh, if you want more from me you can always check me out on twitter uh in the number eight m-o-z-a-i-k nate mosaic on twitter uh or uh cospot on twitter k-o-s underscore p-o-d uh for the kings of sport which uh was recently visited by john pollock and waiting yes of the post wrestling network they were uh they were on for our unofficial fifth anniversary show <laughs> always love the anniversaries with nate and marcus uh let, let's end this on uh with a softball for the greatest Royal Rumble this Friday, obviously this is a show that I think it's very hard to consume this wrestling show in a vacuum as just a wrestling show. It's very much, there's so many social and world yes. politics attached to this show. And going into Friday, do you think that that's going to be a big topic this week? Do you think that that's going to be kind of top of mind when it comes to the discussion of this show? Or do you think it's going to be minimal? I think it'll it'll be definitely be a talking point. I don't know how loud the talking points will be. Will it be this groundswell of outrage, or will it be you know kind of the the vocal majority uh, minority, excuse me, uh, that that is upset about this? Uh, Marcus and I talked about that this week on the Kings of Sport. Like they've there there's there's a lot to di to uh, digest here because there's business ramifications, there's socioeconomical ramifications, there are cultural things. You know, you just can't go into somebody else's house and tell them how they should conduct their their day-to-day -day activities. But by the same token, you know, you set yourself up if you're the WWE as a, a a paragon for equal rights, at least in the way that you define it. So, yeah, it's a it's a very fascinating conversation, John Pollock, one that uh, we do not have time to really dive into tonight. I just wanted to end the show on, you know, just a, just a little question. Just a softball, just something. <laughs> All right. Well, that, I feel like you, you, you put me in the corner of death. 
No, 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 not at all. No, no slip ups uh, here at the end of the show. Uh, so do follow him at N, the number eight, M O Z A I K. Uh, him and Brian Mann catch them bi weekly here at postwrestling.com with Keep It 2000. And that's going to wrap it up. Wei Ting and I will be back Monday night with Rewind to Raw, chatting whatever goes down in Raw. Uh, happening in St. Louis on Monday night. And then, of course, the Greatest Royal Rumble is coming up this Friday, and Way and I will have a show uh, later on Friday for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe, which you can go to postwrestlingcafe.com for, and we will speak with you Monday night.